Welcome to Restitch America, a podcast about restoring civility, strengthening patriotism, and rebuilding unity in America. My name is Almohine Opari. As an immigrant for nearly two decades and a new American citizen, I created this show to help heal our national conversation, to rekindle our pride in our country, and to rebuild our sense of patriotism through optimism, civility, and willful positivity. Now sit, relax, and let's restitch America. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Restitch America. My name is Almohine Opari, and I'm very excited to be here with you today. So today's episode is a continuation of our episode from last week. This is part two of my conversation with Marsha Rothschild. And in the conversation last week, our focus was going to be on critical race theory and what its tenets represent in real life in America. And the reason I brought on Marsha was to bring the left side of the conversation to you so that you hear the arguments that are being made on the other side. And the goal of this podcast, as always, is to restitch America. And in order to do so, we need to hear what is going on on the other side and hear it fairly without any filters. And so I believe Marsha helped us have that conversation. And this episode is a continuation of that conversation. Now, one thing that occurred as we were speaking is the fact that, you know, we, we went a little off topic and start talking, started talking in general about race relations and the disparities um, in various communities in America. And I think all that is really interesting. But one of the things that I would do after this episode, and I'm hoping to do that in the next episode, is for us to take some of the arguments she makes and then break it down. And my hope is that I'm going to bring on my producer, Jenny Johnson, to join me as we kind of break down all the different points that she brought up and, and put that under a microscope so that we can truly understand the point she's making and then also see if there are rebuttals or there are arguments against some of the proposals she's making. So all that is going to be really exciting. And so we're going to start, of course, with part two of the episode. But as always, please like, follow, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. We need your help in order to get the word out. And so share this podcast interact with our our guests and and help us get the word out as much as possible. Your support is greatly appreciated. So without further delay, here is part two of my interview with Marsha Rothschild. Enjoy. Um, One of the things she did was establish a school in one of um, a very impoverished um, location in the country. And so we had the opportunity to see these kids and and bring back the light into their eyes and to give them a sense of pride, which what we we found was it completely transformed what they thought they could become, right? And so we had to go in there. And when we went in there and you asked them, what, what do you want to do when you grow up? They didn't even know what to say. But after a year, two years, three years, these kids would say, I want to be an architect. I want to be a doctor. I want to be this or that. And in some cases, my mom was able to bring some of these kids out of the village and bring them into her private school in the city. And today, as we speak, you know, some of those kids that have been brought from the village and and brought into the city, some of them today are doing great things. 
I have three of them that are related to me and, and they're complete different people. And so um, what she saw and what she learned and what I have learned is that given the worst, you, the worst thing you can do to a person is to hide from them their potential. And when you hide from a person their potential, you are hiding from them every opportunity that they can work on to, to get themselves out of the situation they're in. And so this trap that people are stuck in is an artificial trap that has been created and people profit off of that trap. And what we need to do is to begin to open people's eyes by helping them understand their potential. And so from a conservative point of view, what we're saying is that it doesn't help necessarily to coddle and say, you know what, you are where you are because the system is against you and there's nothing you can do about it, right? We're saying, hey, I want you to look up rather than looking down. I want you to look up to the people who have gotten out, to the people who have these opportunities. I want you to inspire yourself with the image of that success that you can achieve. And we want that to be infused in your life in every way possible, such that you wake up in the morning and say, you know, I woke up on a cold floor, but I'm not going to be here forever. I have a step that I can take that will move me forward. And my goal and my hope is that we don't only talk about it and talk about that vision, but create programs that allow these people to hold on to the end of that vision and actually move themselves out of these situations. And it starts with that education, getting into that system, breaking up the cartel that is yeah. you know, holding these people in various yeah. ways, and then inspiring yeah. these children with a vision of what they can become. And, and what we see in CRT, um, it may have some merits, but the way it gets boiled down eventually, and, and this is coming back to my idea of nuance, gets lost. The way it gets boiled down, it, it gets boiled down to this oppressor, oppressed, right? Yeah. And if you are here, you're oppressed. If you're here, you are the oppressor. Irrespective of your individual circumstances, irrespective of the struggles you personally have gone through, you're just being put into these two boxes. And by so doing, if my black um, or brown child is being raised, being constantly told that the system is the thing that is against you, the problem is that the system is too heavy for them to lift. They can't move the system. And so that despair continues to cycle and spiral. And eventually you have people who don't believe that anything is going to change. And so that's our hope. And I don't know, I don't speak for all conservatives, but my goal is that um, we embrace, rather than telling kids, this is the system. And I get that there is a place for truth to say, look, you've been screwed, you know? And I don't think it's more think because of your race. I, I think there is a way to to talk about that and say, look, you are waking up and being born into this neighborhood, you know, where, like you said, food deserts or their lack of economic opportunity, lack of investment, lack of a tax base, lack of all these things, lack of a good school, no good education, and you have been put into this box. And the question is, in spite of that, and we can change some of that, but it begins with someone like you being shown that vision 
and then recognizing that you can hold on to that vision. And then people, good people like you and I, you know, setting up processes that allows these people to, to then, you know, really hold yeah. on and, and come out of obscurity into the light. Right. And I'm going to take that to the next level. I love what you said because CRT doesn't say you're oppressed. It doesn't say there's an oppressor. So when you go through it, what's happened, and this goes back to what you and I discussed, is we are part of this political mechanization and we are politicized. And the way we learn to talk becomes political. What's so intriguing and beautiful is you and I are really talking the same language. And this is what you and I have been saying, is that we have so much more in common than we have apart. And I think that you and I have the same vision. If we could get everyone to realize that we are really on the same page. So if we stop thinking you're boiling down CRT and it's a press oppressor, it's literally just a history of people trying to figure out how to stop it. And you're doing the same thing. You're like, how do we stop this? How do we make people in these impoverished areas feel better? Well, you know, even when we say like we talk food, you know, if you're a six-year-old, let's talk the six-year-old. You can't get out. You're dealing with your parents. And if one of your parents is off in jail, which so many black men are, okay, and your mother has had an addiction or is just battling and is trying to make it, not to say that everybody in impoverished areas, or you're Mexican and all you're doing is cleaning, maid serving for a more wealthier area. So there are systems, whether we like it or not, that are around that they're trying to get out of. But what do you do if you have three kids and you're cleaning houses for 12 hours and you're trying to, you got don't to have the bandwidth. You don't have the bandwidth. Beautiful. So we're talking the same language. The challenge is, and I think what's beautiful about you and me is you and I are very acutely aware that we are pawns in a much more bigger system of power and greed. And when, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't love Biden. I don't love Trump. I don't love the system. I don't want to break it down. But do I pray that youth comes together and says, we're going to get back to what the system's really about, which is freedom, true freedom, freedom for all religions, not just one, you know, where everybody can flourish and we can stop nitpicking and judging each other. And that's the thing. It's like this goal of mine this year, how hard I want to be non-judgmental, even though every day, you know, I lose, but then I have moments I win, right? And I think that when we start looking at that the top 10% of the United States has 76% of the wealth, 76, the top 10, how many of your listeners are in that top 10? The lower 50%? doesn't is what is it the lower 50 percent is some minuscule number of the wealth it's like two or three percent it's horrific so when we're dealing with that i might even written that fact down let me look um but the thing is is that we're talking the same language i love where you're coming from and where does that come from it comes from investing in education and it comes from saying hey wealthy area we're going to liquidate how we do taxes and 
every area is going to get it. How much do you think the top 10% is going to like that? And they they have power. They have power. And my frustration with both sides is they're like, go Trump, go Biden. And I'm like, you're talking to multi, multi-millionaires. You're talking to people that are vying for positions, lobbyists that spend millions and millions of dollars. I can't remember the fact when I found out what the NRA does, it's like a great, it's like 350. I could be wrong. So have please people Google it and send me the true fact. The NRA, what it spends on lobbying is insane. The Indiana Congress or state or Senate or whatever we call it literally just had the CEO of the NRA on and and applauded the NRA. I'm like, how can you do that? I don't care if you love your guns or not, but they're shooting tons of our children. So (laughs) we've gotten crazy. And what we don't realize is we, the normal you and me, we as a collective have gotten crazy and it's because we're like sheep. We're so easily triggered and they know the words to say. They know how to get a suppressor. They're saying you're a racist. They're saying you're this. And instead of like looking at it for what it is, I mean, you really got to think why, and I don't, why, we'll just say the party. I don't want to say any names. Why did the party make such a big deal of it? And here's a real great example. Christopher Rufo, who's brilliant, he's an American conservative activist, right? And he's now best known for his activism against CRT. Quote, it has pervaded every aspect of the federal government and poses, quote, an, ex- an ex- existential threat to the United States. How many times are we hearing, we got to save the republic, got to save the republic? This theory is an existential threat to the United States. Come on, folks. We are smarter than this. But get a hold of this in an interview. He admitted that it's not about the kids. It's about political power. I've unlocked a new terrain, the culture war, the culture war, and demonstrated a successful strategy. So we have the Idaho bill that said critical race theory tries to make kids feel bad. You know, when I watched 13th, I actually just watched it for the second time. It's hard. I mean, and I don't feel guilty. I feel bad for the people of history that went through that. And I don't think, again, I come back to, we don't, when in the TikTok, she said, you know, uh, two girls that are best friends, and then they read CRT and they end up hating each other. I don't see that happening. My daughter has many, many, many friends of color, and they have huge discussions about it. Do you know what she said to me about this discussion with you? She was angry that I would have a discussion with you. She said, mom, if anyone in this world gets to think whatever they want, any black person can think what they want and you just shut up. <laughs> She's 20 and that's how she thinks. And she is a genius IQ, literally got offered to be in 10th grade as a third grader. Okay. We don't give youth enough credit. Yes. Can some be sponge? Yes. Can some be brainwashed or we can corral them and control them a certain way? But Think of it this way. Think of when your children, you introduce them to somebody. 
And if your kids don't like that adult, don't you think twice? You're kind of like, how interesting that my kid doesn't like that adult. It makes you think because they almost have like extrasensory power. We just don't give them enough credit. And so we've bought this lingo that we're promoting division. It's just a group trying to figure out why it still exists. And if that's not the answer, give another answer because I'm totally open to it. What I do love is what you said, and I love it. So your mom works on these kids and she makes a difference in five, let's say five out of 30. That's beautiful. But when you look at and go with me on that thought, there's still 25. Mm -hmm. And how do we get through to them? Do we just blame them? Or could it possibly be like my daughter looking at those little girls that couldn't even smile? If you are so broken down, it is going to take institutions and systems and positivity, better food justice. It's going to take better teachers. It's going to get better opportunity. And that means changing the systems. Okay. So, and, and I love everything you've, you've talked about here with respect to, to CRT in schools and, and how that is affecting schools. I like the fact that you are saying that, yes, there are kids who are for the first time, maybe understanding the history. So talking about 13th, I'm going to go take a look at that. And, uh, and we understand that, you know, I, I, one of the things I'm going to Ghana in a couple of weeks here. And I don't know if you know this about Ghana, but Ghana is a major thoroughfare, was a major thoroughfare for the slave trade. And so we have um, two slave castles um, oh, that a lot nice. of the slaves went through. And, yeah. and so I've, I've thought that when I go this time, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do a film. I'm going to, you know, film myself kind of walking through that that story to bring it to people. So it is hard when we think about history and, and think about the atrocities that happened to people just because they looked a certain way. And yeah. that's hard. And that's understandable that it is hard. And if you introduce this to people who have never had to grapple with that, it's uncomfortable for them. And sometimes as you say, you know, it's easier to just close your eyes and say, I don't want to see this. However, um, I think on, on the same, on the other side of that coin, is can we take it too far? In, and in, in the reason I say that is, there's one thing to understand that this happened in the past. And this is something we need to acknowledge as part of our unfortunate part of our history. And then once we acknowledge that this happened in the past, the question is, what do we do about it? And part of that, I believe, involves recognizing how far we have come since that point. Right. What are some of the the even though we're not perfect, we haven't reached that point of of that we all want to get to, but we have to acknowledge the steps that we have taken to get to where we are today. And I think that sometimes when people talk about it, they make it seem as if we are still living in 1619. Right. And so people and, and so it seems dishonest in the sense that they're like, if you are thinking we're still living in 1619, then why are people coming here? Why are all these people braving the desert and risking their very livelihood just to get their feet on this ground? Like, why is that all happening if this system is so, so bad? And so that's that's the pushback that you you will get. 
And then the second part is the people who are promulgating these ideas are not necessarily trained in the nuance. So they're given a sheet that says we need to be equitable, right? And they have some talking points on it. And they are boiling things down to the point where kids come home and feel like, am I bad for being white, right? And, and that is not the idea that we need to plant in these children's minds. The idea is something happened, some people did something, and just because you have a certain color does not ascribe the actions of those people to you. And, and there's there has to be that separation to say somebody did something just because they have my color doesn't make it applicable to me. Yeah. And so I think that's where some of the challenge and the, the tension comes from is the people who are promulgating it and the people, the parents who finally got an insight into it during the pandemic when all their kids were home, they've said, you know, basically what I'm hearing is you need to, you know, sit down and shut up your white, right? You you can't understand. You can't understand. And once again, we're going back to those same things. You're white. You can't understand. You are black. You, you, you can't understand this experience or you can't see this. You can't. We're white again, going and putting people back in boxes and limiting them and hiding from them their potential. And so my thought would be, yes, we need to create awareness of these things. However, we need to talk about them in a constructive way. We need to figure out what is the goal here? What is our goal? If you're Nicole Hannah-Jones and you're coming up with the 1619 Project, what is the goal? What is your goal? If your goal is, and in, in, in her case, she said, I, she wanted to show that the founding of America was, was built on racism, right? That was, that was something she wanted to do. That was part of the goal. No, that's that. not. That's not what she said. She America said America is founded on racism. That's no, one of the, the claims that comes out of it. I'll send you her Meet the Press. Um, you can look it up on YouTube. And um, uh, it's with her on Meet the Press. Her goal was to show, she shows in 1619, one of the first things she brings up is how proud her father was of the United States. She wants black and brown people to know that they are an integral part of our history. We have people that are framing it in different ways. And that's what keeps happening. And this is when you and I talk about us becoming part of the political machine. She wasn't like racism. She was like, we deserve to be part of this history. And when you think of it, it's so true. I mean, you know, for me, um, do you want to finish? Because it kind of. I, I, I was just going <laughs> to say. Like, I was just going to say that um, part of, and and maybe there's a there's some kind of you know lost in translation there. Yeah. But what it gets boiled down to is it's almost like we want to go back and and uproot and uproot every good thing about the founding of this country, right? So when you hear people say things like well, our founders were slave owners. We shouldn't listen to them anymore. We should basically abolish the constitution because it was created by racist white people and so on and so forth. And not realizing that the constitution and its guaranteed rights step, you know, um, acted as a stepping stone and gave legitimacy to the claims of the people who were seeking justice in their case. And that is why many of the um, civil rights founders yeah. 
people who look to the constitution as their legal basis for claiming the rights and uh, that they, they they were seeking and so it's it's an imp- we need to look at this in context without making it a left or right issue because that immediately takes all nuance out and creates an us versus them narrative and i think that's what happened with 1619 because it came out with this idea some of the things that came out of it because you know that it was a series in the New York Times where they were looking at things like, well, slaves used, um, slave masters had something that looked akin to a spreadsheet, and that's how they tracked productivity of their slaves. And therefore, Excel is rooted in slavery, right? And so suddenly, like, I'm using Excel. <laughs> Am I perpetuating some kind of, you know, white supremacist cons- conspiracy? So it began to take ordinary things that people do and then attribute racism or is this, you know, to it. And what we're saying is that is divisive because suddenly it's like everything you step on is a landmine. And how can we build a society when everything around us is a landmine? Because then suddenly everybody has a limb lost. Everybody is cowering in the corner because everything is a landmine. And we need to say this happened in the past some of it still continues today, and we need to identify and eradicate those. But we want people to come out into the open and embrace the realities that exist and speak um, speak clearly without attributing any hate or any nefarious motives to our intentions. And then say to people, look, if you are struggling, how can I help you? If yeah. there's a food desert, that's an opportunity as a capitalist. Yeah. Let me go figure out how to go, you know, eradicate that desert and make some money while doing it, right? If there is this, let's go do this. Let's let's change this. If there are cultural things that are holding people back, well, let's be afraid to talk about those cultural things as well. Okay, well let's 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 go back a bit on a few things here. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I could talk to you for days. I love you. Um, okay, this is so good. So let's go back to white children coming home. And I, I think this is interesting. I'm not saying that they're not saying the truth. I'm I'm sorry, but I actually wonder, what are we worried about? White children feeling bad. How many decades have young children of color come home and felt bad just for their color? Okay. Wishing they were white, being bullied. And I just don't think that white kids, I don't think any kids are going to hate each other about CRT. And also I think hate, and you and I know this, has a far bigger emotional component. It's based on fear, insecurity, and the facade of power. So when we talk about, I haven't, and you know what, we should both watch 16, 19. I've only watched one episode and I was impressed. And yeah, she's pointing out things. She like walks in Williamsburg and I never even thought of it. She's like walking through Williamsburg and it's all white people that are working at Williamsburg. And you're like, there, it's not, what it is, is we've made to some degree a fake history for the United States. Okay. We just have, I'm native. You know, do we discuss the millions of natives that were killed to make this great nation? Do we discuss the millions of blacks that broke their backs to build this country, to build our train railway, to build the capital? No. So you can uproot it and like, oh, my God, we're not going to learn history the way we know it, which has been predominantly whitewashed, white, 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 white. I think 
in my interpretation, it's only mine. I interpret Nicole as going, let's put it in there. And some of it's not going to be pretty, but some of it's going to be your great, great grandfather was a slave. And guess what? He built the Capitol. That's okay. That's cool. So then when you go to the Capitol, you go, my grandpa built that. We're making it like it's all just going to be ugly, you know, and I just don't think that's very fair. It's like, you know, so that's one part. The next part is, um, and I'm just kind of looking at my notes here, is here's from the Associated Press. There is little to no evidence that critical race theory itself is being taught to K-12 public school students, though some ideas central to it, such as lingering consequences of flip slavery, have been. We're starting to make CRT. It's like autism. Okay, I'm a certain type of autism. My daughter, I, I mean, all four of us are different types of autism. Autism has become this big umbrella. And that's what we're going to start doing is CRT. It's like CRT is going to be racism, slavery, the whole bit. And it's not fair. So I Googled all these different ways to try to find an elementary school that has been factually found to teaching CRT. Even the woman, I said, send me a link, send me a link in the TikTok. Couldn't find it. I even went to the woman that, you know, was talking about it in TikTok. And to be honest, I was kind of frustrated because I'm like, I agree with you. Let's work on the four core subjects the most. So why are you spending the majority of your time talking about CRT when you're in front of the board and you can talk most of your time about the four core subjects? So we're just, and I felt like also when I was listening to her that she only knew what she heard on the news. And it's because like you and I, and that's why we're doing this, don't really know the truth about CRT. So that's kind of where we're at. But me, and this is just how I feel. I feel that what is wrong with us teaching anything about what has happened to marginalized communities, okay? So for me, because like I said about Natives and Blacks, I want school kids to learn at an age-appropriate time, and I'm guessing middle school and up. I want them to know the Scalp Act of 1749. Do you realize that they paid what today would be $300 a scalp? Sorry, it's a part of history. I want people to know because I'm Native Heritage, and I am, my heritage has more to be here than anyone, right? So that's how I feel. The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1840. I want them to know the beauty of Black Wall Street, that there were these affluential, brilliant, young Black people making this very successful town and how it turned out to be the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. I want them to understand that our fear built by media and built by paranoia and built by insecurity created the Japanese camps of 1942. I want them to understand that the ability of voting, loans, buying a home or land created wealth inequities among races that affects the gap of privilege generation and generation. Can they make it out? Yes. But I'm having white friends uber privileged, upset because they've paid for all the tutors for their white son and their son didn't get into Harvard because that Mexican boy got it. Sorry. Like I say, this is, just, it's my opinion. We've swung way, we've swung the other. And that's how I feel. And I agree with you. 
we need to make it. There's some beautiful Instagrams that I follow, and I highly recommend this to the audience. I'm segueing a bit and coming back. During the whole Floyd thing and, and many white people, and obviously to me, I grew up white, we were like, what can we do? How can we make a difference? And some of the people on Instagram were like, start following black people. And I'm like, well, I'm following all my black friends. But then I was like, I've got to follow more. I want to learn more. And this is in my naive head. I'm like, Beyonce, you know, <laughs> JC, you know, like, and then, then I started going outside of that parameter and just looking for other people of color that were influencers. I think more than half of my followers, more than half, like maybe three quarters is a people of color. Now it has taught me so much. Many of the arguments that I have with my white friends, my one Republican friend who sent me the thing on DeSantis and I'm like, we can't go here until you watch 13th. And I said, I love you. You do not have one friend of color. And that was the thing. That was the loving thing when we were interviewing all the conservatives from the South. I Very few of them had friends of color. So there's this awareness. Like, I kept thinking, like, how do we do that? How, we can't, you know, integrate because nobody wants to bus forever. But we need to create systems that allow us to start understanding other cultures more. And, exactly. and that's, and I don't think I keep hearing indoctrination. I hear indoctrination about LGBTQ people. And I, and I want to say to conservative audiences, before you judge, which I really think God only has the right to judge, follow some people that are trans. Follow Alok. I think I'm saying his name right, her name right, A-L-O-K. What a brilliant, super genius, smart, loving, caring person. And, and, and it, because I've had experiences and I get other people haven't. I repped models and still do for years. I had a model who came to me at the age of 15, beautiful, beautiful girl. I'd known her since she was a baby and said, I'm a boy. And I went, what? You're a what? A boy? And I'm going back years. That model is now, I think, 23. So we're going eight years back. And I had so much judgment and like, what the heck is going on? That's cray cray. I watched that person go from awkward, barely could spike, speak, barely could write. Like I thought there was, you know, not as, you know, nothing against, but I didn't think they were as highly intelligent to transitioning and is like freaking Einstein and is so alive and so beautiful and does nothing but hug people and give people love. But what we've done, and this is my opinion, is the power and greed has, has, has become predators on what we're afraid of that doesn't really make a big difference in helping us as a society. We're preying on Instead of us finding better gun laws, instead of us fixing the roads, instead of us fixing the education system so that all are equally educated, instead of working on mental health, which maybe that'll help, we are just going on individual opinions. If you don't like gay people, don't like gay people. But this country was built on freedom. And that's the thing that's driving me batty. And so that's how I feel. You kind of got a lot there. <laughs> and and this is this is great. And just like you predicted, uh, 
this is probably going to be two episodes because I'm going to break up uh, the first part. And, and, and so this, this conversation has been fascinating. And what I want our audience to know is that we're going to walk away from this conversation as friends and potentially as, as collaborators. Definitely. And this is something that I learned um, when I came as a missionary here. One of the things that um, the, the leader of my, my service is said to us, he says, never leave a conversation as an enemy, always leave a conversation as a friend. And, yeah. and I come from that background because as a missionary, most people, when we would knock their doors, they were not ready to listen to a random person. And I always had to think, well, this person is a potential convert. And therefore the way I treat them, even if they're not accepting of me today, has to look to the future and say, maybe tomorrow they will listen to somebody else, right? And so I need to treat them with the kind of respect that's such that when they meet somebody like me in the future, they will remember how they were treated yeah. and say, and, and so that's how I've, I've wanted to approach conversations is let's go in. And if there is a lack of understanding, I say, fill the gap with love. If there's a lack of understanding yeah. with love. And I think that's how we should we should treat these conversations. And I'm hoping that I don't have a giant platform. You know, yeah. I don't have a big platform, but I hope that I'm making some kind of a difference, you know, facilitating these kinds of conversations. You and are. You are. I mean, it's you have to, you know, it's that whole thought of Jesus again, making the difference in one can make the difference in many. It has a ripple effect. Leave the 99, go chase after the lost sheep and make that difference in that one. Yes. That's important, right? That's important. And I love the the discussion we've had today. Um, It couldn't be better. I would love potentially after, so this is episode, going to be episode number 19. I'm hoping to do an episode where we bring people back together. Some of the people who have been on the show sure. um, on episode 25. I want to bring a few people together and have kind of a panel discussion on some of the things that are happening in our country and how we can use this idea of restitching America to, to change the conversation, to basically create influence that is positive rather than this kind of degrading, uh, degrading influence that is happening in our society today. So I'd love to to have yeah. you join that kind of panel to help us understand, because I've always thought I needed someone who is honest on the other side, who can kind of help me get out of my eco, echo chamber, right? And, and see clearly what the other side is seeing and where they're coming from so that we can have that constructive conversation. So um, I'd love to have you there. And so to wrap up this discussion today, um, I have one final closing question. So what I love to do with my podcast is always leave people with something that they can do. So we talk a lot, a lot of news shows will rile you up and then leave you with that pent up energy with yeah. nothing to do with it. And I have, I'm feeling like we need to encourage people to take their energy and do something good with it. So um, is there a challenge, a positive challenge? And I know you've given a lot. Go watch 13th, go watch, you know, these other things. But is there a positive challenge that you can give to our audience, something they can do that you feel 
can drive either this conversation forward or can drive the kind of positivity and unity that we want to see in our country? Uh, Know that we have so much more in common than we have apart and be aware that there is a fear mongering narrative happening to all of us that is being spun on a political and power level to divide us. Um, And uh, just know, I I just, that's, I think that's where you and I really unify. We, you, we are so aware of that and be open. I, I, and you know, negative to make positive. I get so frustrated how many times I ask my conservative friends to watch something and they don't, I read and watch everything. So they can, anyone can send me anything and I will read and watch it. And I always, and be okay to know that contrasting views keep America great and that we all don't have to agree. Hey, you just quoted Trump's slogan, keep America great. <laughs> yes, right. There we go. And um, yes, definitely watch 13. You and I will get 16, 19 and see what we think. Um, and remember when you watch things, don't focus on just the one bad. Look at the good. Um, listen to youth. And this is a real biggie. If you can get, I'll say, I I met with these uh, parents at a coffee shop in Boulder. It was, they were so beautiful. I think they were from Arkansas, super conservative. And we all just fell in love with each other. And they said, what would you recommend? And they kept talking about their kids and their kids were like, you know, high school to college. And I said, create a safe space. I said, were you really like, so when we went to talk to these, the conservative people in the South, well, they could look at sixwolves.com. It's nothing but liberal. It's like, we're into everybody being seen in ads, all different colors, genders, the whole bit. Right. So they knew, and we literally wrote, there will be no judgment. We really want to hear what you say. We guaranteed, even though now we may be making a documentary of it, and we're making a documentary of it to make it clear how much we all do have in common. But if you can create that for kids and say, I'm going to give you the the safest space. I am not going to impress upon you my ideas. I'm not going to roll my eyes. I'm not going to arch my brows. I'm going to ask you 20 questions. You will be blown away at how kids really feel. And they'll run the gamut, but that's what I do. And when I first started doing that was about five or six years ago, and I would get crap, like, well, you should be teaching them. I learn so much from youth. They make me such a better person. And the other thing I would say is remember that we are all essentially good. Because if we're not, what are you saying about the United States? And just try to remember that we have to stop painting the U.S. as this war ground filled with criminals. It's not pretty. And it it it, it doesn't serve it. And, if, and, and do your best to risk going to places that you would never go. Go and work in soup kitchens for two months in, in very, very marginalized communities. And ask them questions. You know, don't just serve them and be like, ooh, I did my good job. Engage with them as real people. And those are my thoughts. Oh, that that was amazing. Um, thank you very much. You've given us a lot of homework and we will definitely have <laughs> you back. 
here. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I venture to say that this has been one of the the funnest interviews I've done, and I'm I'm, I'm really excited that we were able to do this. So, um, audience, I'm sure you've enjoyed this conversation with Marcia, and we will hear more from her because I want to have that connection with the other side where I can come in and say, Hey, you know, this is happening in the world. This is how conservatives we are seeing it. What is your take from, from the other side? So we can kind of make sure that we have both sides covered um, so that we're not misrepresenting the motives or the ideas or, you know, the feelings of, of people based on, you know, the conjecture that we hear in the media. So if you enjoyed this episode, thank you so much for listening but please share it. This is, if you have never shared one of our episodes, this is the one to share. Because I think the world needs to see this. The world needs to see that we can have this kind of conversation and we can come out unscathed on both sides. (laughs) We can come out, you know, in a positive place with that assurance that we're going to keep working, keep talking and keep trying to make things better. Thank you again, Marsha, for coming to the show. And... We will talk to you all next week. Bye. Thank you.